I invite you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be reading from a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 in just a moment. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted that you are with us and honored by your presence here. We ask that you just stick around for a few minutes afterwards that we might get to talk to you, get to know you a little bit better. Um, for those that are usually here, that are members here, it's good to see you, obviously. Uh, just good to be able to be with the family of God at Lakeside once again. And it's, it's specifically thinking about that family that I, I want to kind of make a segue into what we're going to be talking about this morning. There's a term that we sometimes use when we talk about specifically this local church, this local congregation. And that term tends to be church member. And it's interesting because you don't necessarily find that word in the New Testament, you don't necessarily find that word in the Bible, but you do find the principle expressly and clearly stated. And so when we talk about this, I, I think sometimes what happens is maybe there, we have some denominational friends that are questioning what this looks like, what this means, why is it that we stress so much that we need to assemble together. And there may be some connections that they try to make that are not biblical connections. And I think sometimes we don't know necessarily how to clearly uh, make the case for what it means to be a member, why we need to be a member of a local congregation, of a local church of Christ. And, and, and so my question is, could you explain this to someone? Could you explain why this is so important? Can you explain what the Bible actually says about this principle? Why are you a member of a local congregation, of a local church? We need to be able to answer that question because sometimes people are going to come up and they're going to ask us questions about this, whether they're trying to test us, the faith that is in us, or they're just simply trying to understand more. In fact, I've had conversations with people even recently asking this exact question, do you, do you know what this means? Do you have any idea what the difference is between just being baptized and becoming a Christian and then what the responsibility is here to be a member of a local church? And so we need to be able to answer this question. So I, uh, I want to make the case this morning for joining a local church and what it means uh, all throughout the study. And so first of all, I think we have to first make some distinctions, some important distinctions about how this word is used throughout the New Testament. And first of all, it's used when talking about the, the general assembly of Christ, those who are saved, and then it talks about local churches of Christ. And so just a couple passages that I want to look at. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, if you haven't turned there already. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 21. It says, And so terrible was the, uh, was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, thinking back to an illustration of God and the presence of God coming before the people of Israel. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And we'll stop there. And so in verse 23, it should say Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, what is it talking about? The general assembly of the firstborn. It's talking about those who are a part of Christ's body. Over in Acts chapter 2, very quickly, Acts chapter 2. This is, I think, another very important passage, verses 41 through 47, which we'll look at throughout the text, throughout the study. But in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, talking about those who had become Christians, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
And so when we use this term of universal church, what we're talking about is the general assembly of Christ, those who have been saved, those who have given themselves over to Christ, made them their king, made him their king. And so then they are part of Christ's body, that church that he says, I am going to build. Now, you go over to a passage like Philippians chapter 1, and it kind of changes how, the word, uh, how, how this uh, terminology is used. Philippians chapter 1, and this is just one of many passages that you could look at. But Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Now, we're going to come back to this thought, but the very fact that there are overseers, elders, shepherds, and deacons, what that immediately assumes is that there is a local church. But we'll get to that more in just a moment. But he's talking to those uh, of the church in Philippi. You go over to another passage in First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 1. And you could go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. But in First Thessalonians it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So, once again, you have another instance where it's talking about Paul writing to who? Not just to all of the saved, but specifically some specific individuals of the saved. And so it's a local church, a local congregation that he's writing to. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss and all the churches of Christ greet you. Plural there. What is he talking about? But several different congregations that make up this, this universal church, this universal church of the saved. And so I just go through a few examples just to show how the Bible uses this term and, and just this, this notion all throughout the New Testament. There is a universal body of people who have been saved and they are a part of that body of Christ. Now within that, there are churches of Christ that, that, that those people that are saved go to and commit themselves to. Now, the next question I want to ask is, does this make any sense? When you think about how the world would look at this and say, well, how, how does that make any sense? How can you have one church and then you have several churches? In fact, I think some denominational folks would come to us and say, I thought you said that there's only one church. So how can you say that this, well, first of all, this is how the Bible talks about it. And so automatically they're, they're still starting with, with the wrong foot forward. But this is how the Bible talks about it. But even when you think about it from a worldly standpoint, this makes sense. This is reasonable. This is logical. This is not logically inconsistent. You think about someone who decides to join the army or join the military. So they, they are enrolled into the army. And then what happens? Well, they're going to go into uh, ba ba uh, basic training. They're going to go into boot camp. But then they're designated into different platoons. Now, when they're designated into different platoons, they're no longer just, just a part of the, the army in general. I guess that just means they're just, they have nothing to do with the military anymore. They can't really be soldiers of the army because now they're in different platoons. Nobody looks at it that way. They are now designated into specific areas within the army, but they're still a part of the army, aren't they? And so, so even when you're divided into these specific platoons, does that mean that you're no longer in the army? Of course not. You're still a part of the army. In fact, it's the very reason that you're there. Does it mean that you're no longer under the same command? No, you're still under the commander-in-chief, aren't you? You're still under a general. And so, even from a worldly perspective... It makes sense. It's logical and it's accurate. 
And so when the Bible comes in and starts using this same kind of idea, it's not logically inconsistent here. So let's make the parallel. You become a Christian. You are now a part of that general assembly as we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. Now you have joined a local church. Same questions I just asked. Does this mean that you're no longer a part of the universal church? No. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1 that we just read, what does he say? But to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father. And so it doesn't change the fact that they're still a part of the church of Christ. This is just a local church that, they've, that they are now uh, joining in the work with, that they are now associating with, in God. God is not taken out of the picture. And so that secondary question, does this mean you're no longer under Christ's command? Absolutely not. Matthew 16 and verse 18, as we already kind of indicated, upon this rock I will build my church. And so just because you are a part of a group at Lakeside, that does not mean that Christ is still not the head. In fact, you go to maybe another congregation that has elders. Does that mean that Christ isn't the head? No, you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and what does he say? But that they are supposed to be imitating the chief shepherd, Christ. And so no matter how you look at it, he's still the one in command. No matter how you look at it, we are still a part of that universal church. And so just understand, this is how the Bible uses the word church. This is how we are supposed to understand it. Now, with all that being said, God says that we have a responsibility to be a part of both. Back in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As I said, this is, I think, one of the main passages to go to when, it, when you look at uh, this kind of study. But Acts chapter 2 in verse 41 beginning. It says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. One thing to note about verses 41 and 47, who's the one doing the adding? It's God, isn't it? It's not man, it's God. Now, when we answer that, that great invitation of Jesus, when we answer that invitation and we have decided to obey every condition that he has given to us for salvation, to be a part of his kingdom, then what that means is we are, we are added into the church by God. He is the one that transfers us from the domain of darkness into the, his kingdom of light, as it says in Colossians and, uh, and even a little bit in Ephesians. Now, beyond that, after being added by God, does the responsibility end? Does it mean that we no longer have commandments that we are supposed to obey, instructions that we're supposed to follow, a pattern to follow? I think that there absolutely is a pattern when it comes to the local church. Just, and here's just a handful of passages we've already looked at. But I want to make the case throughout the rest of this study that this is a responsibility that every Christian has to, to uh, join a group of local disciples, of brethren, i.e. a local assembly, and, and, and that it, when, we, when we shun that or shirk that responsibility, what we're doing is we are disobeying God. And we are not, we are not in a right relationship with him. And so if these passages aren't enough so far to, to make the case, I want to look a little bit further at specifically Paul's example as I think we see a very clear pattern all throughout the New Testament. 
And so looking specifically at Paul, you might just want to put a bookmark in Acts because we're going to look at a few different passages. Because again, I know that the word membership is never mentioned in the Bible, but the principle is over and over and over. In fact, it's not just, it's not just clearly seen, it's, it's just assumed. It's assumed that you're going to be going to a, an assembly every Sunday. It's assumed that you're going to just be with God's people. That's what's described in Acts chapter 2. Not only were they continually uh, worshiping God and assembling together, but they were just together, period. It wasn't just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but they were constantly together. And, and, and even there's something there to talk about. But I think the fact that it's just assumed in the Bible is even more powerful evidence to suggest that this is a responsibility that we have. And so, as I said, let's look specifically in the book of Acts at, at Paul's uh, example throughout his ministry and how he would join himself to different congregations whenever he would move. Look over in Acts chapter 9, first of all. Acts chapter 9. After he had been saved, after he had been added into this universal uh, church, the body of Christ, what does it say that Paul did in verse 19? In verse 19 it says, and he took food and was strengthened. This is right after verse 18 again, that he was baptized. He took food and was strengthened, verse, uh, continuing in verse 19. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So immediately, who does he go to? The disciples who were there. Verse 20, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And I'll just say, it does not stop there. So after becoming a Christian, the first thing Paul does is he decides to go and be with brethren. Go and join with local brethren, obviously. Now, with, as we look at this, and, and just stay in Acts chapter 9, because we're, we're going to look at one other passage here, just a few verses down. In verse 26 and verse 27, look at what it says Paul does after he moves to another area. He had to leave because of uh, persecution. So in verse 26, it says when he came to Jerusalem, what was he trying to do? But associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, once more, after persecution has come, after Saul has to move, what does he do? Again, first thing, it, it, the only thing that's mentioned here is he's going and trying to associate with brethren. He's trying to join that work there in Jerusalem. What's interesting about this word, and I would just say, don't forget that whenever he moves, Paul is always going to seek local brethren. But particularly this word associate, Paul was not trying to visit them. Paul was not trying to just see what he, what he could see what going to a, some congregation or another. He was trying to join them and associate them, meaning, well, let's look at a couple passages. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. The same word there is used in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5. But look at what Jesus is talking about. In verse 4, he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the, from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So here Jesus is talking about marriage. Which word do you think is that, that word in Acts for associate? It's join. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's used the very same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16 beginning. 
Beginning in verse 16, it says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, the reason I wanted to come to these two passages is because I I know that while in Acts chapter 9, this isn't talking about in a sexual sex, in a sexual sense rather. How is the word being used? It's trying to indicate a fellowship. It's trying to indicate some kind of union. Now, it's not necessarily talking about a marriage between a male and a female, but it is describing the kind of closeness, the kind of fellowship that uh, a people are supposed to have with local brethren, with a local church. And, and I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that point is even more clearly made because while he's quoting this same passage that Jesus does in Matthew chapter 19, he's trying to make a spiritual application. So you flee morality. Why? Because you are joined to who? Christ. You have unity with him. You have a fellowship with him. And when you engage in these kinds of activities, you are putting him to shame and you are breaking that relationship and that fellowship. So make the spiritual application. Don't sully that union. Don't sully that fellowship, that relationship. Now, over in Romans chapter 12, I think it makes it even more clear. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 As speaking about how we are to treat one another, he says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Again, if you had to guess which word it was, what do you think it would be? Cling to that which is good. And so it's this kind of notion. This is what Paul did. It, it, it's, so when you talk about clinging to brethren, it's not a matter of just acquaintances or I'm just visiting one group or another. It's intimate fellowship. It's not just being present, but it's getting to know the brethren at the, the, at the local assembly. And we're going to talk about this even more tonight uh, because I, I think it goes beyond way, way beyond just this foundation of we need to be a part of a local church. It goes way beyond that. There are expectations that we are, that we are supposed to be mindful of and considerate of and following. But, but just as a foundation, the pattern is that we join ourselves to a local church. Now, going beyond just this passage in Acts chapter 9, turn over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Not only did he join a group whenever he would move, but kind of adding, adding on to what we've said, he, he would commit himself to it. Even when he was teaching and preaching throughout his ministry, even on his missionary journeys, Paul never would just roam from church to church. He would dedicate himself to a a group for a time. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 25 beginning, it says, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, this is speaking about Barnabas, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, I know that there's a lot of things that are, that, a lot of applications we can take from this passage. But one of the main things that I want to get from this is that when Paul moved, he dedicated himself, committed himself to a local church. He joined with the brethren where he went in Antioch. And in fact, you get to Acts chapter 13, he's still there. He's not just roaming around, as we already said. In fact, it seems Paul moved only when he was forced to or when he was told to. So in Acts chapter 9, he was forced because what happened? There was persecution. In Acts chapter 11, he was, was just following Barnabas, the son of encouragement. So he goes with Barnabas to Antioch. Turn over to Acts chapter 13. Why do, why do they leave 
this church in Antioch. There, it, it seems like a very successful work, especially for the first century standard, because there was so much persecution at the time. But, but what, what happens in verse 1 of Acts chapter 13? Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I think that at the very least, one of the things we should take from this along with some other applications. But one of the main things is what we see is an, another example of the fact that faithful brethren knew that they needed to join themselves with other faithful brethren in the local area. Because the, the fact that they were still there after a year or so, and the Holy Spirit is the one that has to tell them, you need to get moving. It, it just is another proof that they, were, that they were staying there for a purpose. The fact that Paul and Barnabas... Uh, God had to tell them that they couldn't remain in one place. That's just another indication that this was the pattern. And, and, he, and, and so with, with all that being said, he never moved unless he was forced to, unless he was told to by God, unless he was guided by God to leave. Now, he did not move for superficial reasons. He did not move for random reasons. It was always calculated. It was always for spiritual reasons purposes you ever heard of church hoppers that wasn't Paul oh but Paul went from church to church yeah but he had a purpose for that he was guided by the Holy Spirit and in fact what we're going to see all throughout and I think as we have already seen a couple instances whenever he would move it wasn't like he was just there for a week and then gone he was there for a while now he was nothing like modern day church hoppers today you know what that sounds like I don't really like it here I don't really care for the worship at this specific congregation. Or this is just too rural of a congregation for me. Or maybe this is just too urban of a congregation for me. That's not the standard. Because I'll tell you something. Here, there's a couple of options. But there are a lot of places where there's not. There's, there's Brother Ken McDaniel who is... Who is uh, begun to work at, in Springfield, Illinois, and the reason was because there was not a sound scriptural church for at least two hours in every single direction. And so what he decided was, we need, we need, to, help these, we need to help these people out. That you, there are places where you're going to have to go a couple of hours or more to get to a sound church. We're very blessed to have some options here. Paige and I were very blessed growing up to have options of, of scriptural churches surrounding our, our hometown. But that is just not the way it is everywhere. And so people did not get to use this as an excuse to not go to services. I just don't like it here. Or, you know what, this is, these people are just too rural for me. They didn't get to say that. Are there brethren here? Thank God we have people that are like-minded with us. We have people that share the same faith as us. And so like Paul... He, we need to be like Paul. We need to truly commit ourselves to a local church because that's what Christians are meant to do, not just because this is what suits me. If, if that's the reason, then you're doing it wrong. And it'll show at some point, let me tell you. So he joined himself with local disciples, with a local church, wherever he went. He committed to that church. And finally, he stayed committed to that kind of fellowship. 
just emphasizing some things we've already mentioned. His goal was to be associated with the local church, and he was not satisfied with less. Now, I know someone could come up and say, but there wouldn't be a group to join at the beginning of planting a church. Yes, absolutely, understood. But what do you think Paul would have done if it stayed that way? When people rejected the gospel, what did Paul always do? He, he wiped the, the dust off his feet and he said, I'm going to the Gentiles as he was talking to the Jews. He would leave if people rejected and he would go somewhere else and try to plant a, a, a church there. If people accepted the gospel, what happened? Immediately, there were more disciples. And even though it may have just been three or four, what do you have? You have a church in, in, in Lystra. You have a church of just a small group of people, but it's a church nonetheless. An assembly, a local assembly of, of believers, of brethren. That's important. And so Paul never stayed in a position where there would not be any brethren, where there would not be a local church to go to. He was in constant work and effort to make it happen. And if it didn't go, and if it didn't, uh, go the way it should have, then he would go on to another place to try and bring the gospel to others. Over in Acts chapter 14, in verse 19 beginning, Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, this is, here's something that will help us in our daily Bible readings. When you read just these few verses here in Acts chapter 14, does it sound like, well, on Monday, he, you know, he went to Derby. On Tuesday, or maybe Wednesday, they spent a couple days there. On Wednesday, they went to Pisidia, or, uh, or, or, or that's 24. But they, they went to Lystra, then they went to Iconium on Friday, Antioch, that, and then that was a full week's journey. No, it took a, a little bit longer to travel to some of these places. And in fact, in verse 23, when he says they appointed elders there, don't think that Paul just just said, hey, we need elders, we're just going to prop some up in a week. No, he went to these places and he would build brethren up, build men up to fill that role. And then when they were, when they were able to stand on their own, that's when he would move on to another congregation. When the Holy Spirit guided him to another place, that's when he left. And so we need to be careful that we don't read through this. And, and I think sometimes people get discouraged when it comes to evangelism. Why isn't this happening quicker? Why isn't this happening sooner? Even Paul had to spend some time with brethren. Even Paul had to spend a, a, an extended period of time in different places. But don't think that because it's taking time that there isn't seeds being planted. Don't think that because it's taking time that the evangelism is just not effective. It takes a little bit of time to figure that out. But all of that just to say, once more, Paul didn't stay in a position of no fellowship with a local church. Now, doesn't that just describe the exact opposite of how people are today? I, how many times I have met someone and they have said, well, you know, I'm just kind of looking around. I will say, it, it, I kind of like when they say that because then it kind of leads into a segue of, well, would you like a Bible study? And a lot of times they say yes. But, but that's not the attitude Paul had. I'm just looking around to see what I like. 
Are you looking around to see what's scriptural? Are you looking around to see what Jesus has said is, the, is what the church should look like? Or someone who says, I, I like it here, but I don't like being under an eldership. Well, that's a serious problem. <laughs> because we have very clear instruction that we have to be, that we need to get to that point. Or someone comes up and says, I just do better on my own. All throughout the Bible, what God says is, no, you're not. It is much worse for you that way. Well, you know, we can just Zoom worship. I tell you what, the people that actually need those Zoom worship, those Zoom services, the people that actually need those live streams, they're the people that are actually in danger. Uh, there was a woman that, that hardly could ever come out because she was so sick. She was bedridden, and she loved being able to have the live stream. But I'll tell you what, she loved even more so to be in the assembly. It was a good thing that we had those live streams up. She enjoyed that. Why? Because she couldn't be here. God says we need to be here, not just sitting on the couch enjoying a, a, a nice little video with nice singing and nice things that are being said. It, there, there's a need for us to be near one another and a need for us to be together physically. And I'll tell you what, if you don't think that, you, you just ask our family, mine and Paige's specifically. It's not easy being a preacher and going everywhere and away from family, especially as you have a kid. It's pretty hard. Now, you, you call one of them and you say, oh, I'm sure it doesn't bother you at all. I'm sure it's not difficult at all because they're just, they're just four hours away. It was a lot harder when it was nine hours, let me tell you, in Mississippi. But they're just four hours away now. You know what? They wish that we were just four minutes away. In fact, I don't think that would be enough. So no, no, it's not enough to say, I do better on my own. God says, that's not true. And so don't think that you know better than God. So this is a very clear pattern that we are supposed to be added to the church of Christ and that's by God's power and then we have a responsibility to make our own efforts to join ourselves to a local church that we are accountable to and that we are accountable for. Now, finally, I just want to ask some, some remaining questions, challenging questions that we need to ask people when they start trying to challenge us saying, well, is there, is there really any scripture? Is there really any need? Are you still not convinced? I, I think we've said enough. But here are some questions that we need to put people on. We should not be on the defense. We need to be putting people on the defense when it comes to this because the burden of proof lies on them. There is too clear a pattern to suggest that we are supposed to be here like we are this morning. So first of all, I would just say, what, what is described in a passage like Hebrews chapter 10? Go over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 beginning. What, what does the uh, Hebrew writer say here? In verse 23, beginning rather, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <laughs> Just the term, sometimes I, I wish that the, the word church was translated to the assembly because that, that is what, how it's used. In Acts chapter 19, that's how it's used twice in verses 32 and 39. It's used, the same word, Ecclesia is used to talk about an assembly. By definition, the word means that you are assembling together. I don't even know how you could get more clear than that. But what do you think the Hebrew writer is suggesting here? Don't forsake the assembling together of every single Christian, every single saved person, saved soul on this earth? No, we, we know that's not what he's... Because we, we are rational beings. We know how we communicate with each other. We know how God is trying to communicate with us. He's talking about a local assembly that we are a part of. Don't forsake that. Don't neglect that. So the local assembly is absolutely important and it is a responsibility and it's commanded. 
Well, going beyond that, how do you worship together in ways that are specific to the local assembly? If you're not going to join with brethren, how can you do things like it says in Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing myself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? No, he says singing, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, I know that Paul and, and Silas, while they were in prison, were singing hymns. And, and we have authority to do that. And we should worship God. We should sing praises to him when we are, when we are happy. We should be singing praises to him, uh, you know, often. But there is a command to sing with one another. There is a command to do this in the local assembly. How can you do that if you just say, I do better on my own? Going beyond that, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Who was gathering together? Well, you look at the context. You could just put a bookmark there, but look at the context. Who is Paul with, and who is he gathering with? He's gathering with brethren. He's gathering with disciples. In fact, why was it that they delayed for a time before moving on? So that they could be with brethren on the first day of the week. To break bread which is the intended, which is the commanded time to do so, the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. So that it's very specific and very clear, uh, clear instruction that's given by Paul. But where does this collection take place? I mean, we're given very clear instructions. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so I direct the church at Corinth as well. You do the same. On the first day of the week, you take up that collection. And there's more to be said about these, these acts of worship. But what, what are we doing? We're making the case a very, a very hard case that, that, that just can't be questioned. How can we obey these kinds of commands when we are not having fellowship or devoting ourselves, committing ourselves to a local assembly? How do you practice something like church discipline without the local assembly? Over in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, when Jesus is talking about the impenitent brother who just refuses to... to uh, return to the Lord and refuses to abandon his sins. He gives a process of how they're supposed to go. You go and you, you question him. You try to make things right. If he doesn't respond, you take two or three witnesses with you. If he still doesn't respond in verse 17, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, if he's talking about the universal church here, every single Christian on the globe, who wants to have the assignment of getting everyone's email address so that they can put it in all, you know, one global email. That's not, that's not what's being talked about. It's specific. It's talking about the, a church that this person was a part of, that the people know him. There is an intimate relationship here. And so how are we supposed to practice? Who do we bring them before? Clearly not every single saved person on the earth, but the local assembly. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he's talking again about uh, another instance of church discipline, Paul is speaking of something at Corinth that shouldn't be mentioned among any of God's number. But in Corinth, they had, instead of uh, getting rid of someone who was sexually immoral, they kept him in and they were boasting about it. In verse 2, it says, You have become arrogant and the one, or, or you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. 
Whose midst is he talking about? Again, clearly we're not talking about the universal sense. We're talking about the local assembly. The church at Corinth was struggling with this. And they needed to fix this. They needed to remedy this. Now, if it's talking about the universal church, does this mean that the church in Philippi is guilty of the same thing that the church at Corinth was? No. They weren't engaged in this. They weren't participating in this kind of unlawful fellowship. It's talking about the local assembly. Finally, I think as, as we looked at in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, I, I think the fact that elders and deacons being mentioned throughout the New Testament is very good evidence and a very good argument to use that people just frankly have no defense for when they're trying to say there really is no need for a local assembly. Can elders function in any capacity outside of the local assembly? We, and we need to be able to answer that because there are lots of people that say, well, of course, because there are all kinds of bishops that are over all kinds of different denominations, over all kinds of different congregations. But that's not what the Bible talks about, does it? In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He's talking to the elders from Ephesus. And he's saying, there will be people that come in among you in your midst. And so as, as Paul is warning them, who is he talking about? But the local assembly. There are going to be people that come in into the midst of the flock you oversee. And while this is going to be true across the board, what is he saying? You need to focus on that flock that God has made you an overseer of. Because while you're not going to be held accountable or responsible for the church at Philippi and how they're doing, you're going to be held responsible and accountable for how you are overseeing this church. Is that not good evidence? Is that not a good argument? Over in Hebrews chapter 13, and this will be the last passage we look at, Hebrews chapter 13, there are two verses here. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. What does the Hebrew writer say? But obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Who are we supposed to be submitting to? Elders from afar off? Elders that we have no relationship with? No, elders in the local assembly. In verse 7, he says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate whose? Whose faith are we talking about? But it's the people that you are in the midst of. It's the people that you're next to. And while certainly we want to imitate the faith of Paul, like he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. But what does he say here? Remember those who led you. You imitate their faith. And what that not just implies, but is very explicit about, is that there, are, uh, there is the responsibility to the local congregation, to the local church, that we are a part of. Now, am I following the biblical pattern if I am not a member at a scriptural local congregation? Can I say that I am doing what God has required of me and has commanded me to do if I just keep saying, I think I'm just still going to look around for what I like and never ever commit ourselves to a local congregation? No, you can't say that. You can't say you're obeying him. You can't say you're respecting his word if you say, I, I know what he said, but I think I know better. The, the devil 
It's like a roaring, a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. I'll tell you, the easiest people to pick off, the easiest, when you're talking about a herd or a flock, the easiest ones to pick off are the ones that are not with the rest of the flock. They're straggling by themselves and alone and defenseless. God says, we need each other. That can't be more clear. Maybe you're a Christian and you realize that you have not been fully aware of your responsibilities as a member. Maybe you've been taking for granted your responsibilities and your participation as a member, which we'll talk more about tonight. But if you haven't been corrected, do it now. Make amends with God. Let Him forgive you. Let, get in a right relationship with Him. And now build that fellowship with your local brethren. If you're not a Christian, just understand that this is just the next step. It's a necessary step, but just because you join a local congregation, if, you try, if people allowed you to without being a Christian, that does not mean that you are one. God says you need to be added to His church, and that can only be done, not by man, but by Christ, and through His sacrifice, and through the conditions He's laid down for you. What are those conditions? Are you willing to hear what He has said? Not just throw them away. Maybe some of the commandments that you've heard this morning. Are you willing to be faithful to those commandments? To repent of the things that He says you need to do away with. Confess, make a confession based on those beliefs. And be baptized into His death to rise in newness of His life. And live faithfully doing as He said until the day of your death. You can make that happen this morning. We have the tools, we have everything we need here. If you're subject, subject to the invitation of Christ, come forward and let us know while we stand and while we sing.